Here I go, here I go, shit my pants again Yo, what's my weakness? Coffee gives me squeakers I mean this, my penis is scared when my ass screams And my farts sound like speakers The ice cream shit's post-appendectomy And now my hygiene is wilder than a chocolate factory I got that rat-a-tat-tat coming out the back of me Battling, it's putting holes in my clothes It's a battlefield also, I'm on a date, great, this shit just on my face turned great, it's too late, she asked did I shit, I admit that I did, then this bitch took her kids and they dipped and they left me in my stink, and now I'm looking for a bin, something to put my duty underwear in, tuning in to Hooters, who's the junior on a scooter with the dudes, that's my Uber bringing me a pair of boxes cause I pooped, pooped my pants. <laughs> Listen... Living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, E. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hiya. Happy two year anniversary, Kate Rambo. Happy two year anniversary. D. Simon. <laughs> this is the first time we celebrated an anniversary together in the same city. Were we not together last year? No, you came out like after. After, yeah. October 14th yeah. is the anniversary because we it got is. married two years ago in uh, Carlisle. On Errol Flynn's birthday. Was it Errol Flynn's birthday? Is the 14th? Yeah, I think that's a good omen. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, and then I think last year you came out like a just week after. later. Yeah, just yeah. after. So this is the first time we've celebrated an anniversary yeah um before before you were married like before you're actually married and you're in other relationships uh, did you celebrate anniversaries sometimes I, w- I wasn't like the type of chick who was like you have to take me to dinner we're gonna do a whole like fucking thing about it but i think in the beginning you're like like first year you do something i'm not one of those chicks who's like six months anniversary time i was like fuck off what's it? it's weird like girlfriends always remember that like acknowledge like the first date. Yeah. And things like, I don't know, it's weird. You know why? Because women are nice. Women well, notice things like that because we're nice. I understand you guys notice the nuanced details of the relationship, but I can understand with the, with the, when you're married, you have a date. And that date yeah. is forever like imprinted on your, your conscience. So uh, you would know... You know, if you're going to, when that date comes around, that that's a, there's a special, it's like a birthday. It's like there's a special, it's a landmark. Yeah. Whereas when you first went on your first date or you went and saw your first movie or you, when you got your first like hot fudge sundae at a <laughs> diner, it's like, I don't understand why you need to recognize that. Why didn't you get me a hot fudge sundae in a diner in the early days of our relationship? I thought I did. I've never had a hot fudge sundae in my life. I swear I bought you ice cream. That's the quickest way to get in a girl's pants. It is true. You've, you've brought me Froyo. I don't know if you've ever bought me legit ice cream. I must have. We've yeah. been to diners. I do love a good diner, me. But yeah, I always find it kind of weird when uh, before you're married that, uh, that you would acknowledge like an anniversary of some sort. But some girls get really upset about it. Yeah, I would never be like, we have to go to a dinner. We have to do this. But I would always get like a little present, a token. But I was by all means not like... You have to acknowledge this day. But what do you do if, uh, you know, if you're just a partner and you never actually officially got married? You'd you, still have you think you'd still have an anniversary? Yeah, because like getting married isn't the end all and be all. And people can be together for like 25 years and never get but married. But then you have to pick an arbitrary date. 
you pick a fun like maybe the date you first moved in or the date you realize that we're going to be together as or lifelong the, committed partners forever or like the date you first got anal <laughs> or the very important time <laughs> that you first there was a special when. day i can't remember who i gave my anal virginity to but it was someone it was a very special day i'm sure <laughs> well we are having a halloween themed anniversary weekend this weekend um tonight we're going to uh, the Angel of Light horror play with Ryan Keeley and her boyfriend. I think we mentioned this. It's like that immersive horror. It looks fun. I've been like seeing playing. my phone has obviously heard us saying the word Angel of Light and I keep getting the adverts. Bombarded for with the ads on Instagram, I've noticed. Yeah, so it should be fun. And then tomorrow, Son of Monster Palooza, which is the uh, horror film convention. That'll be fun. With all the uh, special effects artists. That's on Sunday in Burbank. Uh, we share all the deets on the uh, the second show. So uh, you can you can uh, sign up for the Patreon or Apple Podcasts and uh, hear about that. Um, so I guess moving on, Kate, what, and I, I think this kind of fits in with the theme of the show uh, for this week. So what happens when your husband or wife dies? The marriage vows are now complete. They're no longer valid. So do you still acknowledge your anniversary every year? Well, it depends on the person. I think some people probably would, or they would but, get a bit sad that day. Well, okay. Let's say you uh, you remarried. Do you make your new husband or wife acknowledge it? Again, I mean, people grieve in different ways, don't they? <laughs> I, I I think you know which couple I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. I mean, I just wonder, like, do you light a candle? Yeah, you would maybe like, you know, put on well, your on little Jew candle. Day. Yeah, and remember them like you do with yeah, other people who died. That's a yurt site. That's like their death day. But I mean, for your anniversary, the, the you know they're dead. The vows are over. Everything's done. Like, can you just be like, ah, oh, fuck it, it's just another day? <laughs> you're an asshole if that's how you would be. <laughs> if I died, and you're like, it's just another day, October fourteenth. I want you to go to my grave or find my urn and just like have a cry. That would that would please my restless soul. Well, that's not going to happen. Why? Because you're just going to be over it. No, because I have a plan if you die before me. What is it? So I would plastinate your corpse. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that German doctor, Gunther von Hagens. Yeah. You know, oh, would you Body go to Worlds? him with my corpse? Well, I would, or maybe one of his uh, students or something. Um, but, do, but have you ever seen the Body Worlds exhibit? I've, I've been like nearly to see it a few times. And I mean, it is amazing. I've seen pictures. Maybe we'll go check it out. And uh, actually, maybe we'll go check it out over Christmas. Cause it's at the Luxor. It's got like right. a residency at the Luxor. That's weird. That it it's be very weird. In Vegas. But in okay. the desert. Yeah. Yeah. I think hopefully the air conditioning works. Um, but yeah, maybe <laughs> we'll go check it out. But plastination is this like innovative method of conserving anatomical specimen. So all the bodily fluids are exchanged with a polymer, plastic, and that can be hardened. So it was invented by uh, Dr. Von Hagens in 1977, and his team continues to, to develop the process uh, um, to this day. So now you can see different specimens. Like the one Body Worlds exhibit I saw in San Francisco, it was like a horse was like bifurcated. And you just saw like, they, as if you like sliced the horse in half. Yeah, amazing. And it was all plastic body, but they even had a pregnant woman. Oh, gnarly. oh, yeah, it was gnarly. It was crazy. I bet you, like, if you say you want to leave your body to Gunter now, I bet it has to be something special. Like, you die at nine months pregnant, he'd be like, yeah, I am all over this. But if you're just like a regular schlob like me, he'd be like, I am not interested. I have plenty of schlobs. Well, you know what's weird is all the corpses were Asian. So they were like, it was oh, like Chinese, yeah, Chinese people that- robbed them. Well, or China just made a deal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that works. The China body deal. Um, so anyway, 
I would plastinate your corpse using okay. uh, von Hagen's technique. I'm kind of into this. this would, would I be like sat on the t- sat on the couch with like a can of beer or something? I think I could. I would make it like pliable, so I could pose you like a real doll. Oh right, right. So this would avoid decomposition. Then I'd make a mold of your vagina, <laughs> and uh, with that, I would fashion a fleshlight from the mold. And so I would just, you know, hollow it out, shove it up there, just use it whenever I get the horn. Right. So, so it's still well, like my vagina. Yeah, it'd be a mold of your vagina. And then, you know, and I, I could do that like on our anniversary night and be like, you know, I'm going to bring her out for, for a good old shag. Dust her off. A right old Rogerine. Would, would you do this in front of your new wife? <laughs> possibly, possibly, because that's a thing. You know, I w- if I remarried, maybe it would be a threesome. A thruple. Yeah, maybe she'd be into it. That she'd be forced to participate uh, in. Forced. All right. I hope your next wife is living in fear right now, <laughs> wherever she may be. And the, the beauty of the fleshlight, too, is I can extract it whenever it needs a cleaning and swap it out if I want a tighter fit with, like, another one, you know? Oh, if it gets too, like, it, like a wizard sleeve. Like stretched from out, yeah. You. So I bet that does happen with a fleshlight. I can see that. And... If, you know, contrary, I also have a plan if I die before you. What is it? Which could happen because men typically die before their wives. Yeah, and then women live long and happy lives. So if I die before (laughs) you, I've been putting a lot of thought into this this week. Leading up to the anniversary, I was thinking, you know. Till death do us part. Till death do us part. What happens afterwards? How do you preserve my memory? And so I was thinking if I die before you, I'll make a mold of my cock. And then you can create a dildo from that mold. So let's say I'm dying of cancer. Before I die, we you're going to have to, well, yeah, you're going to have to make me erect and then make a mold <laughs> of my cock and then fashion a dildo from that. Then get a realistic mask made of my face, like with a real a Jufro. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you can go to these Hollywood special effects studios. We've had a, we've had a couple of dudes on this show that talked about their um, making the, the, the realistic mass. Who were those two groupie chicks who went around and got all the rock stars' dicks? Remember them in the 70s? They yeah. got Jimi Hendrix. Those uh, two pla- rock- uh, plastic, Susie Plastercaster? So, yeah, Plastercaster. Something so, like that, yeah. yeah. So, so it'd be similar. So, yeah, similar to that. And then death mask. Could I it, not get a death mask of, like, I don't know, Brad Pitt with a Jufro? No. It has, it has to be, to be me. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> you me. get a mask made of my face. You get my real Jufro. You can oh, you shave want me to my, scalp you? Yeah. Well, no, you'll shave my hair and just glue it on. Well, I would have to like stitch it on. I don't think it works like that. Well, no, you give it to the mask people. They do it. Right. So we'll, just, we'll start shaving my hair. And we can even use some pubes if you need extra. I mean, your fleece they're, is they're very pretty much, my, my hair upstairs pretty much <laughs> matches the downstairs. So we'll get the it's mask true. made. You got the cock mold. And on the night of our anniversary... You can force your new husband oh. or, or wife, if you happen to switch teams, you never know. Uh, they have to wear the D-mask, and then they strap on my cock for a passionate lovemaking session. Just on the anniversary? Yeah. Um, we'll see. You, you know, promise. You know what I've always thought? You promise. I promise. You know what I always <laughs> thought was funny? How, speaking about switching sides, is like it's never happened to me, but it's happened plenty to other people, is you'll go out with somebody, and then immediately after you break up, they're suddenly like, yeah, I'm really not into dudes. I'm into chicks now, or vice yeah, versa. I've turned three girls lesbian. Have you? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. You were just <laughs> no, that joking. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> <Never>. <laughs> It's a great track record. No, I well, not to my knowledge, I haven't turned any, but uh, but yeah. So there you go, and that's that's something you'll have to promise and put in writing. So I already have the contract I, written up. I don't mind breaking a promise. It's fine. <laughs> what are you gonna do? You're gonna come back from the dead and fucking haunt me. Oh yeah. You know what? Can we get a dibbit box and I'll put you in it? 
That, that would work. be that would be funner. That and then work. on Halloween, I could be like, "Let's get D out," and we would open up the divot box. Would it be my be ashes? There. You know, that's another thing. You could always like just have my ashes, and you have to hold the... my ashes. No, I could get the ashes put inside the dildo. Well, that's what I was thinking. You get one that's fashioned the size of my cock and ashes in there, and then the strap on for your new husband or you know wife to wear. It would be too small to put your ashes in there. <laughs> All right, we're moving on. We're moving on. Now it's just getting like personal attacks here. Um, anyway, this week's show is all about the practice of marrying the dead, including a section on the notorious mentalist doctor, George Carl Tanzler, also known as Count Carl von Kossel. Not surprised he was German. Um, he was obsessed with the young Cuban-American tuberculosis patient that he had, and this obsession carried on well after her death. Of crazy. I'm sure most people have heard of him, but I managed... He's very well known. My mate Anthony has been mega into this case lately, and he sent me the, the little memoirs that Carl had written, and I must say, they are fantastic to read. Carl is such a character, so... With the pictures, the pictures of the, of the, of the wife. Oh, what was left? What was left of her? Yeah. So uh, before we get into all that, let's chat about something a little bit more fulfilling than marrying a corpse. The sick and wrong patron. It's very lively compared. It, I would say so. Um, if you like to listen to us every week, you listen to us prattle on about nothingness and absurdity, then we just ask you to sign up for the patron. Just support the show. It's only a few bucks a month. $5 a month, you get access to Sick and Wrong's second show. Uh, it's a whole second show that we do every week. And it's a bit, bit saucier. Oh, yeah. A bit more salacious than the regular show. This, this is, the regular show is all about business. Second show is the party in the back. The second show is the mullet. It is. Um, so this week uh, we we get into uh, chatting about Monster Palooza and the, the the famous people that we ran into there. Uh, we also talk about the Angel of Light experience that we that we had downtown with Ryan Keeley, as well as getting ramen in Hollywood, uh, where a uh, particular very schizophrenic homeless man scared the living shit out of Kate. He, yeah, he did. <laughs> you were really frightened by I this was very, guy because he, he's the type of guy who will pull a knife on you. You could just tell because he had that like thousand yard stare. He was just staring oh, into wasn't. nothing, just screaming and following us. And anyway, we, we talk about this on the second Terrifying. show. Terrifying. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's only five bucks a month. You get access to Sick and Wrong on Patreon. Um, and you get access to the official Sick and Wrong Discord. Um, there's a very heartwarming cultural exchange going on right now. There is. Everyone's been receiving their boxes of pure joy from around And the are world. there like unboxing videos or pictures? There's been pictures of what people have been receiving. And I think it's really fun because you're seeing what someone else has bought. Kind of like some of these people are like strangers to each other. Whereas the person I got... I fucking love. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a it's a Halloween theme gift exchange, so um, people can go check that out. Discord's a fun place. Also, you can subscribe to the show on uh, second show on Apple Podcasts now, so you don't even need to sign up for Patron. Um, but Patron uh, does have a little bit more bit more features here. Uh, for a few bucks more, you get access to the archives. We got a uh, um, Overkill as well as Serial Killer Star Sign. Some uh, some bonus next, shows. The Libra is coming out next week. Everyone, it's a long one. I've been working on it. Libra. Serial killer star signs. So yeah. it's going to be a good one. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. We do appreciate the support. So let me play this quick promo. And then let's chat about marrying a corpse bride. Hey, sick and wrong listeners. If you're not currently a sick and wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. The guy was saying like, you have people coming and going in your apartment every night and I can hear it. I can hear everything you say. 
And Jeff's just like, oh. what are you talking about? And I guess Jeffrey said he was taking a shower with a couple guys <laughs> two nights ago. And he's just like, goes to the shower with a couple of my friends. And we're taking a long shower, like, you know, like we do. And he's just like, and the guy, he's like, the guy was really upset because he said the whole basement was being flooded from our shower. And when I told him that, uh, I was just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. He was like, I can hear every word you say. For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. But don't you ever think of... you've got to love Tim Burton, haven't you? Everybody loves Tim Burton. No, not everybody loves him. I've been actually reading a lot of interviews by a lot of people who were very angry at Tim Burton and they've accused him of being racist and anti-Semitic. What? But who isn't? I'm who shocked. Isn't? Yeah, it's just because he didn't hire. He's never hired like a black actor until like 2017. And obviously you've got, is it uh, Ugga Bugga in Nightmare Before Christmas is very clearly a New Orleans black man played by a white man. You know, I've heard uh, criticisms with the Ooga Booga character from Nightmare, but they said he looked like a Klansman. Yeah, and the costume designer even said to Tim that she felt, like, uncertain about the character, and Tim Burton was like, yeah, fuck off, I'm, I'm going to have this. And they say he's anti-Semitic because in the Corpse Bride, like, when you say Corpse Bride, most people are going to think of the Tim Burton film. Uh, it's like a stop motion. Did you ever see it? The Corpse Bride? Yeah. Oh, of course, everybody saw that. Yeah, I like, it. I like it's okay. You know, it's a good movie. It was it uh who who played uh Helena Bottom Carter? Yeah, while Johnny she Depp. was married to to yeah. uh, to to Tim Burton. You know, I remember um, people remember this too. Who've listened to the show for a long time. Wackerly hates Tim Burton. I can see why. And yeah. he hates how Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter in every Tim Burton movie. So it just, it, it riles him. This is kind of how I feel about like Wes Anderson. Like I want Wes Anderson to stop. I want him to just stop hiring all the same free fucking actors. And I just want him to stop. Yeah, I'm not really into his movies. I, I always kind of think of whenever uh, you talk about Wes Anderson with Wackerly, he's like, he's just too twee. He Which is has got to be the most like pretentious word I've ever heard used to describe a film, but it's it's apt for this particular uh, genre of filmmaking. Very twee, and like Tim Burton is kind of like the goth twee version. Yeah, I mean, I like Tim Burton's movie. I prefer Tim Burton's movies over oh, yeah, Wes Anderson. Me too. And like, obviously, Tim Burton has like inspired a lot of people to be spooky and their kids to be spooky. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and of course, right. I mean, it was kind of a cool movie, but. Um, there obviously is a bit of a history there. Yeah, and this is why they say he's anti-Semitic, because Corpse Bride is actually inspired by a folklore tale. The original is obviously much gloomier, and it has like a kind of real-life ending. So this is the Jewish folk tale, and it's called The Finger. The Stink Finger? The Stink Finger. And this story dates back to the 16th century, and it was originally published, and it was called Shivhei Ha'ari. And it was partly presented as like full fun time fables, and it tells the adventures of uh, Isaac Luria. And he was a prominent um, Talmudic scholar of the day, and he's kind of considered the father of modern Kabbalah as well. So for those who dig graves but aren't grave diggers, his body rests in uh, the cemetery of Safed in Israel. But you might want to wait a few weeks before you go and pay him a little visit. Yeah, maybe now is not the, the time, time to go uh, have a vacation in Israel. 
Um, in the original version, under the full moon, Reuven and his friend are joking around with a ring and marriage vows whilst they're walking through the woods. So they find a shallow grave and poking out from the dirt is a finger. So Reuven is the groom-to-be. He's kind of, go- you know, his mate goads him into placing the wedding ring upon the finger of a corpse as it protrudes from the, ro- the earth. So he recites the marriage vows three times, as is the custom. D, you will have to read out this Hebrew. Harai et mi kudeshli. Thank you. And that means you are betrothed to me. But as soon as he finishes reciting those words, the corpse comes to life. She claws her way to the surface. And she's not like a lovelorn outsider like Helena Bonham Carter type. She's like a terrifying specter of death. And she insists on consummating the marriage with the rabbi, something we all know I have zero issue with. You have no qualms about uh, necrophilia. What I find funny about this, though, and it is kind of terrifying, you get this horny zombie coming out from like the bowels of the earth. This horny zombies, uh, you know, coming out of her grave. And, you know, you think about it, it's like, so do they also want to eat your brains? Like, are they usually horny? I think they haven't really done, probably one of the Italians has done a horny zombie, like in the 1970s, but it's not coming to the forefront of my mind right now. But could you imagine if zombies were sex pests, they'd rape you while eating your brains. Yeah, and then there'd be necrophiliacs and cannibals. But, but that's like a nightmare. I, it's like the thing's already eating you alive, and now it's raping you at the same time. I think that's what the new spin on zombies should be, that they <laughs> rape you. So they're sex pests, yet they, they will also eat your brains. Yeah, good luck to you. Yeah, that's scary. I mean, it'd make Walking Dead a hell of a lot more interesting. I can't even believe that show's still on. I thought it finished. No, I don't know. <laughs> There's like so many spinoffs. Like, have it like, I don't know, set in a strip club. That's a good idea. That would be a good zombie film location. So this so-called marriage, it goes to Rabbi Court. The court sides in favor of Luria and then the bereft and wailing. The corpse bride collapses into a dusty old pile of dome bones. Dusty old bones. The corpse was properly buried far beneath the earth so nothing so tragic could ever take place again. And her parents are called upon to give her a proper ceremony. You know, this story is so much better than Tim Burton's version. Yeah, I already like it. I just like the, like the terrifying looking Corpse Bride. Not like, because the, the, uh, the one in the movie Corpse Bride is kind of like, you know, anthropomorphized and looks kind of goth. And she's pretty. Yeah, and she's attractive. Whereas like, I, I just like the thing to look like the Crypt Keeper. Hey, Dee, talking of Corpse Brides, did you see Eugenia Cooney dressed up as <laughs> the Corpse Bride? <laughs> she, she's taking the piss now. No, I haven't actually. So, so Eugenia Cooney's the anorexic influencer. Yes, yeah, that yeah. has no issue with posting these pictures of her dancing around and kind of celebrates being anorexic for followers. And people are horrified by her. Oh yeah, I but mean all I, the comments. Are I can't crazy. imagine a better person to pull off Corpse Bride though. Well, because she is the Corpse Bride. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised she's still alive now. <laughs> On the Instagram, I threw up that reel yeah. uh, where you told me to put the song. What's, it? What's that song? Spooky, scary Spooky Skeleton. Scary Skeleton. It's like, so and she's dancing around. It's perfect. It, it fits perfectly. Oh, it does. Anyways, <laughs> this story regained popularity in the 1980s when a Jewish folklorist, Howard Schwartz, he published a collection of Jewish folk tales in his book, Lilith's Cave. But this idea of a corpse bride in Jewish folklore isn't as outlandish as one might think. And the history of the Jewish people is actually kind of awash with corpse brides. 
So it's common for Orthodox Jews to skip the step of washing and dressing the deceased in like the typical shrouds if that person has died in tragic circumstances. And young women being buried in their wedding dresses makes sense within a traditional construct. You know, it's kind of traditional construct that's designed to alleviate trauma. This certainly happened from the anti-Jewish Russian programs uh, that went from 1800s to 1900s, in which Russians following uh, the Tsar murdered thousands of Jews. Their homes were burnt, their possessions looted, women raped, people murdered in hundreds of Jewish um, Russian towns. During this cleansing of Moscow, (laughs) Russia attacked wedding carriages specifically and wedding parties so that they could murder the bride so that she could not um, bear Jewish children. You know, uh, anti-Jewish Russian pogroms went well after the 1900s. Oh, of course they did. Yeah. But this was like the this. <laughs> that, that was the, the main, the main era happened. of Russian pogroms. But pogroms are happening all over Europe during that time. Oh, yeah. Not to mention the Middle East. So it's not just particular to Russia. But yeah, there are a lot of Jews in, uh, in Russia. Um, but it's funny that Burton just omitted these details as he stripped the story of all its Jewishness. Well, in some way, I can kind of understand because he wanted to make the story universal. And he didn't want to bring a religion into it. But there's also a very kind of like shystery Jew in Corpse Bride character. I'm sure there's a, I'm sure it's in Corpse Bride where there's like a shystery Jew who is not to be trusted. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I can imagine there's a Shylock type character. Yeah, it totally is. Um, but, you know, I mean, the thing is, he could have still kept it loosely religious. Like maybe use some Kabbalah references, maybe a couple of Jewish prayers, because it is based off a of Jewish. Uh, like yeah. a well-known Jewish, Jewish folklore. And I think that's what the people say. And yeah. that's why they say he's being anti-Semitic. But at the same time, I could understand him wanting to admit it all. So some lefties are now going to be accusing me of pushing a Jewish agenda. And it's not just the Jews that practice posthumous marriage, a.k.a. necrogamy or ghost marriage. In some societies, it's possible with a few stipulations, okay? So posthumous marriage, where nuptials of one or both members of the couple are dead, is practiced in China, Japan, there's a surprise, Sudan, France, India, the Nazis did it. There's even a deathly marriage attached to Anne Frank with her roommate, um, Albert Dussel. And yes, the USA does it too. Technically worldwide, with it being allowed in the Church of the Latter-day Saints. No surprises there. You know, I didn't know that Nazi Germ- Nazi Germany uh, practiced posthumous marriage. We was very because po- you know they were trying to create the master race. So if you're you died and you had these kids, you could just do it and you'd be fine. Well, we're going to get into some of the reasons behind ghost marriage, but usually it's it's financial. With the Nazis, it was like so. If there was a you know the, if a fiance was was pregnant and her husband was a fallen soldier. Um, and so what they would do is they would have a posthumous marriage in order to legalize it. So uh, legalize the birth of a child mm-hmm. that's born out of wedlock. And so it provides the benefits to the wife of being a, uh, a soldier widow. Yeah. So I think it was mostly a financial thing, a way to look after uh, the living, the living spouse. Yeah. And I mean, they were weird with spirits in Nazi Germany as well. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me. But it does go back centuries as well. So in shamanism, there are spirit spouses where the relationship shamans have with their spirit spouses and they're expressed in romantic, sexual or symbolic ways and sometimes include gender transformation as part of a correct pairing with a spouse. So they're shagging these spirit spouses. 
Well, they go both ways with them, apparently. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Examples of spirit spouse in non-shamanic cultures include saucy dreams about a naked and ripped Jesus Christ by horny nuns who were considered to be the brides of Christ. I thought you were going to say Bill Gibson. I'm sure he has saucy Jesus dreams. D- yeah, well, he did have that fucking torture porn movie. <laughs> But it's China that has probably the longest tradition of ghost marriages. Um, I'm so sorry to people who can speak Chinese. Called Minghong or spirit marriage. It's traditional culture. It's shameful to your parents if you're an unwed female. And even more so if you pass the age of 3-0. If you happen to die and you're not married, then your living descendants believe that you will not rest peacefully. And you're going to return to haunt everyone. So ghost marriages in China are often set up by the request of the spirit of the deceased. Who, uh-huh. upon finding itself without a spouse in the other world, will now cause misfortune to the uh, to the living family. Um, so this usually takes the form of sickness by one or more family members, and when the sickness is not cured, you know, by uh, ordinary medicine, the family turns to divination and then learns of the plight of the ghost through a seance, yeah. and thus is prompted to have a ghost marriage. So for men, ghost marriages uh, were often performed for the sake of progeny. So. You know, they, they want the family's lineage to carry on. So the spouse of a deceased male could adopt a child who would then carry on the li- lineage of the man's family because she's actually married to him now and, and has his last name. Uh, but other reasons for ghost marriages uh, uh, were like the dreams and seances from the spirits of the males who want to be married. And so they were, you know, they, they feel obligated to do it because they have a seance and the shyster would be like, oh, they need to be buried properly and married. So you, yeah. have, to find a, you have to find a bride for them. Uh, also Chinese tradition, and a lot of different cultures have the same tradition. Younger brothers cannot marry before their older brothers are married. So right. the older brother might die and not be married. So now you got to do a ghost marriage so the younger brother can get laid. What if your like, older brother is an incel, though, and he's never going to get married? So you, you can never get married or have sex effectively. Yeah, younger brothers can't. Well, I mean, I'm sure you can have sex, but you wouldn't be able to have legally be married until the older brother's married. What a stupid law. Well, you, you think about, though, incels probably would love a ghost marriage. Well, no, because they would be like, this woman would have rejected me in the real world. Yeah, so they can just force her to marry them, and yeah. she has no choice. <laughs> so in China and amongst the Chinese in Taiwan and Singapore, ghost marriages are performed to address a variety of like social and spiritual ills. Chief among these are the desire to you know, placate the restless spirits of those who go to their grave unmarried. Ghosts with families are liable to direct their discontent within the family circle. Um, Diana Martin writes this in her book, Chinese Ghost Marriage. And it is here that ghost marriage becomes operative. The practice is banned, but citizens do it anyways. So if your unmarried son or daughter died, your parents would hire a matchmaker to help them marry suitable corpses and you would be buried together. The rituals involved for this arranged marriage are kind of similar to a normal relationship. They're matched up by a matchmaker by word of mouth. You know, they'll ask questions about occupation, your likes and your dislikes. They're going to swap photos. They then host a wedding ceremony. They dig up the corpses and they bury them together in this cozy new grave for two. Well, they don't always use corpses because sometimes they'll use effigies now. Yeah. um, That are made of paper, bamboo, or cloth. And so the the other odd thing about it I was really getting into this because I never really thought about ghost marriages and how different cultures observe these. There's that really famous picture I think everyone will know in. It's the the skulls and the heads. Well, the skulls and like some bones on really brightly colored cloth. 
Oh yeah, it's a yeah. super I've famous that, picture. Yeah. We should we should post that on the site. Yeah, we will. Yeah, it's a very famous photo. But yeah, a lot of the typical marriage rites are observed in these ghost marriage ceremonies. Like for example, a ghost couple at their marriage feast, the bride and groom may be constructed of paper bodies over a bamboo frame with a paper mache head. And then another ceremony ceremony that married a living groom to a ghost bride, the effigy would be similar, but instead they're constructed with a wooden backbone, arms made from newspaper, and the head of a smiling young girl clipped from like a calendar. This is terrifying. How creepy is that? This is worse than just seeing skulls getting married. And Yeah. I mean, you could just have a skull and it could be like a Dia de los Muertos kind of thing. Yeah. Which would be fine. I mean, a little terrifying, but, but fine. Yeah. But this, th- this is just unnerving. It's bizarre. And so after the marriage festivities, they burn the thing. They burn the dummy, the big paper mache newspaper armed dummy. Like it's Guy Fox. Yeah. What the fuck? And so most of the marriage ceremony, the rites are performed true to the Chinese customs. And the bride is always treated as though she was alive. So the ghost bride uh, will be fed at the wedding feast in the morning, um, (laughs) invited in and out of the cab, being told of her arrival at the groom's house. I guarantee they consummate the marriage. Oh, I was just imagining like just spoon feeding this skull, <laughs> just like fucking ramming some rice down its mouth and being well, like, I think Eat, it's just, I think it's just kind of like a weird looking doll that they make from household items, but guarantee he fucks it. Oh yeah, he will. And I bet you the whole family makes sure he does and watches. That's what you do, you perfect. <laughs> If a heterosexual couple is engaged and the man dies before the wedding, the woman can engage in a ghost marriage by marrying her fiancé's spirit. During the ceremony, a white rooster stands in for the groom. And honestly, I would marry a rooster. I think they're very handsome animals. Yeah, I can see that. And they, you know, they're, they're still a cock. There's still a cock, but I'm not going to touch their lacquers. <laughs> it's going to be a very, like, you know, marriage of convenience. Yeah. According to Lucas J. Schwartz in his book, Grave Vows, a cross-cultural examination of the varying forms of ghost marriage among five societies. You could have cut that down a bit, Lucas. The bird also rides in the bridal carriage post-ceremony and thereafter accompanies the bride to formal dealings with the groom's family. (laughs) So is it sitting at the table? It's just your chicken. I want to be a woman with a chicken that goes everywhere with me. Oh, that's amazing. I wonder if they actually speak to it, like address it rather than the bride. Oh, I bet they do. <laughs> I bet they fucking do. Well, because it's the spirit of the man yeah, and the exactly. chicken. Yeah, exactly. And the chicken is more well-trusted with money than the woman. <laughs> Such cases are kind of rare due to the requirements placed on the bride, who then must move in with her dead husband's family, and she has to take a vow of celibacy. Or fuck the chicken. Or fuck the chicken, but I don't know how a woman could fuck a chicken. You know, it's really funny. So on the contrary, with men... They don't have to take any kind of vow of celibacy uh, in this yeah, situation. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so sometimes the family of a deceased person will use a priest as a matchmaker. Um, other times they'll leave out a red envelope with gifts and believe that the deceased person's spouse will then just magically reveal themselves. Okay. To get the gifts. Yeah. <laughs> I would like that. <laughs> the price the family is going to shell out for a female corpse depends on how fresh she is. So she can't be a stinker. It also depends how complete her remains are and if her physical appearance was marred in death. So, for instance, say you died in bed of a mysterious Victorian ailment and you left a beautiful corpse behind, your family can charge out the Chinese wazoo for you, as opposed to if you were mangled like you were playing a game of Catch Me If You Can, Princess Diana style in a car wreck. So, wait, how much does it cost to marry a fugly corpse? Oh, it would be cheap. I mean, you could afford it. Not bad. (laughs) 
One matchmaker who has 30 years experience told the China News Weekly that the market has flourished over the years. In the 90s, a match would cost around 5,000 yuan. And in the 2000s, it grew to 50 grand in their money. So it's probably lots. By 2010, it's 100,000. And that's only going to ensure that you get a basic match. And by 2016, you couldn't even buy a bone for less than 150K, which is oh. worth 23,000 US dollars. Oh, talk about corpse inflation here. And Yeah, corpse inflation. And that's just for like a basic bitch. So imagine if you wanted a really attractive one. Yeah. God, you'd be paying out the ass for that. So gradually and naturally, this led to theft and even murder for ghost marriages. Um, Professor, ya- uh, Professor Yao told the ABC that there has been at least 12 prominent murder cases related to ghost marriages and more cases of kidnapping and grave robberies. I also don't see what's wrong with grave, ro- grave robbing. Well, I mean, I would be upset if there's a grave. What if, uh, like... You buried your mother in her favorite jewelry, and then some asshole is digging it up and selling it. Yeah, but I'm not going to ever know about that. No, you would if someone told you that, oh, yeah, hey, someone dug up your mom's corpse and took all the family heirlooms that you left with her. Uh, Well, firstly, I would never be so stupid enough to bury a corpse with, like, family heirlooms. I'd be like, she doesn't need them where she's going. I'll take them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd be be kind of annoyed. Um, So a female body... A dead female body can be sold in the range of several hundred thousand yuan um, for the purpose of Minghan. But uh, corpses of married elderly women have become targets of the illegal trade. In 2019, some graveyards in the Henan province had to put CCTV cameras and use concrete coffins to prevent the theft because it was happening so much. Wow. In 2015, it was reported that 14 female corpses were stolen in one village in the Shanxi province, and villagers said that tomb raiders stole the bodies to make money. Like, in 2016, a man named, listen to this name, Ma Chonghua. It's a great name. From the northwest China, it's probably also not said anything like that, murdered two women with mental disabilities, and he sold each body for 40,000 yuan, which is like eight grand in U.S. change for these ghost marriages. I just don't get, why do they need a real corpse? Is it just, does it, it does it make it more authentic? Well, I think they need the piece, people to be dead. They need the women to be dead. Yeah, but couldn't you just, well, couldn't you just make a effigy like they the do now? Or is that just kind of, is that cheating? Couldn't, yeah, couldn't they just go to like a graveyard, write down some old women's names? And yeah, then just and just be make like, an effigy that looks, looks kind of like them. yeah. I don't know. It's not our culture, is it, May? In China, there is actually currently no regulation that specifically outlaws ghost marriages, even though it is banned, or even the selling or buying of corpses. But they are trying to clamp down on more incidents. And there's new criminal laws that are in place that anyone who damages a corpse can be sentenced for up to three years in jail. But there's still no restrictions on the selling or buying of bones. Personally, I'd rather have those Chinese strippers at my funeral than a, like one of these bony wedding parties. I think it'd be kind of cool to have a, a wedding party with just a bunch of corpses. That would be fun as well. Right, great pictures. Well, we're, I want to have the next wedding at Hollywood forever. So technically, that's what we'd be doing. But do we need to dig them up? No, okay. but we could. <laughs> so we're going to head towards my ancestral home. So in, and I will totally wreck these words as well. In India's Karnataka and uh, Kerala states, families celebrate um, Prefer Kaliyam. Kalayaman? 
let's go for it, which means marriage of the dead, okay? And it's a centuries-old custom, and typically when men reach the age of 25 and women the age of 22, they're married to a ghost child. Isn't that kind of pedophilic? It is a little bit, <laughs> you think. And yeah, it's a little weird. Apparently, the restless spirits of unmarried children uh, bring misfortunes, and this practice helps parents cope with the grief of losing a child, and it helps bring them a bit of closure too, even though closure is bullshit. Families represent their dead relatives with like effigies, dolls or clothing, whilst they enact nuptials similar to a regular wedding. Although not recognized by the law, it continues on under the radar. You're not supposed to do it. And I'm sorry to break your heart, Adam, in Japan, but yes... Ghost marriages also happen there. But there is a distinguishing factor. A deceased person is not married to another dead person or a living one, but they're married to a doll. They're probably married to one of those waifu body pillows. You know those things? Yeah, that's what they would want. I yeah, think. it's like those anime characters with the huge tits. Yeah. Those, are, those are considered comfort objects amongst uh, Japanese uh, uh, youth. Yeah, comforting. <laughs> Real comforting for your cock. <laughs> like... The most common ghost marriage is between a ghost man and a bride doll. But ghost women are occasionally united with tiny inanimate grooms. So Ellen Schneider wrote a fun, really great article in 2001 about this called Buy Me a Bride. And she says the Chinese style ghost marriage was replaced in Japan in the 1930s by doll marriage. Probably because of the increase of like young single men who had been dying during the war and the Japanese invasion of uh, Manchuria. And the high number of casualties made it too difficult to find enough living brides for them all. During a bride doll wedding ceremony, a photo of the dead man is placed in a glass case alongside the doll to like represent their union. The tableau stays in place for up to 30 years, at which point the man's spirit is considered to have passed into the next realm. And the symbolic companionship is designed to keep the ghost husband calm and prevent him from causing unrest within his living family. We've talked a lot about Japanese ghosts this week. Well, this month, so you know. Well, it's spooktober. It is. expect. So after the soul of the deceased is reborn, the spirit bride, um, that and the actual bride doll are no longer required. So relatives then cremate the doll or throw it in the ocean. I want one. I want one of these dolls. Well, I think they just burn it. and Because uh, so, so, there's a, a belief that around 15 years after the wedding, the bride doll starts to look a bit like the deceased. I want one of these dolls. Like magically, it starts looking yeah. like it. However, by the end of the 30 years... The doll reverts back to its generic form, so you just burn it and chuck it in the ocean. Uh, no, I want one. Um, it's a, another interesting fact here. Doll marriages are actually pretty recent in Japan. Yeah. Um, they started after 18, 1872. Okay. Prior to that, Japanese ghost marriages uh, usually took pl- place between a living person and a ghost, and they're also focused on financial compensation for the living partner. Yeah. So it's, there's like a financial motivation for most of these ghost marriages. Additionally, older Japanese beliefs suggested that if the deceased becomes too attached to the living partner, so if your ghost bride is too into you, that may give the living person an early death. So as a result, this compensation is actually an even bigger significance for the living person. So if you think about it, would you take like a large inheritance, but you had to marry and have sex with a ghost? Yeah. But it could lead to an early death. But it won't. But that's fine. Also, why would I have sex with the ghost? Well, I don't know. You, you. I think once you're married to the ghost, like you're, you're married to them. Yeah, but I don't believe in ghosts. But I do believe in making bank. 
But what if it had a risk of you might die early? You'll have you'll have a ton of money though while you're living. Oh fuck! I'll live it up, mate. I'll get some hookers. I'll get some cocaine. I'll fucking take up smoking again. That's kind of what I think too. It's like fuck it. I'll take my chances. Yeah. When you say early death, you're saying like I'm gonna die at sixty. Yeah, or like just I would maybe die at 70 as opposed to I could have died at 90. Fuck yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm about to say. It's like, so I'll take the next 20 years just living it up. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Sure, I'll marry a fucking ghost, <laughs> quote unquote. So we mentioned it before, but the Mormons are also kinky enough to enjoy the odd bit of necrophilia. And it's called a sealing service. And the LDS church views marriage as an eternal bond. So joining in marriage is an essential requirement for getting into the highest levels of the celestial kingdom of heaven. That, like what they believe. So if someone isn't sealed to each to another, they can't get in and they're not going to be able to spend eternity with their family in heaven. Didums. So these proxy sealing ceremonies, which take place in an LDS temple, are intended to be initiated only by the descendants of those concerned. Max Mueller investigated for Slate in 2012, but that's not always the case. He, deta- he talked about the case of Thomas Jefferson. Yes, that Thomas Jefferson, who would turn his house servant, and I'm putting that in really nice term, Sally Hemings, into his pants servant. So wait, was Thomas Jefferson a Mormon? no. But I'll tell you more. I'll definitely get into it. All right. I want to hear about this. So I read that the church's doctrine, so the LDS church, is not specific about who should be sealed to whom when there are multiple spouses. Because, you know, Mormons practice polygamy. Yes. And so the church permits a sealing to take place anytime there is a valid marriage between an opposite sex couple. Um one possibility is that regardless of how many times a man or woman is sealed, only one marriage will remain in the afterlife. So I guess they have to pick their favorite wife isn't that, to get sealed to. Isn't that a bit shit? Yeah, for the other wives, I'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah, I'd be like, I know which side your bread is being buttered. You couldn't. But there's also a possibility that multiple sealings will be valid in the next life. So maybe you could be sealed to all eight of your wives. So if, you're, if you don't choose a woman to be sealed to, so technically that woman now isn't sealed. Well, it's not, that's the thing. There's a debate. Like only one woman. So even if you've had, you have eight, eight wives, you can only be sealed to, to one, one in the afterlife. So all these other seven women are now not married and not sealed. So they can't They're go to heaven. They're side hoes, basically. They are side hoes. Yeah. Uh, the church also doesn't teach whether or not polygamous marriage exists in the afterlife. Oh, they so fucking want it. De- to. It definitely occurs in the, 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 the realm of the living. But they don't really say if it does in the afterlife. So this is how Thomas Jefferson, uh, this is how he is getting involved. So Mormons in their wacky way, they turned Hemings into a Mormon in the afterlife because they have the power to do this. So they've actually Mormonized Elvis. And basically every other dead famous person ever has become Mormonized by them. So it isn't really a shock. I did actually read a funny joke that when uh, Mormons can baptize dead Jews. So when can the Jews uh, circumcise live Mormons? (laughs) So despite Tommy and Sally not being Mormons in their living lives or even married or even in the eyes of the LDS church, they are now sealed uh, to one another for eternity, having been posthumously baptized and posthumously wed. So the posthumous baptisms of uh, Holocaust victims really pissed off the rabbi. 
I think it should. Like, who the who the fuck do the Mormons think they are? They're already fucking weird. But like going around, I would be so pissed if I died and they tried to turn me into a Mormon. I'm like, I'm not fucking one of you and I don't want to go to heaven if there is one because there isn't, you idiots. Well, it's definitely some chutzpah there, but it was happening a lot in the 90s. That's kind of when it became like a big trendy thing. And so my dad wrote an op-ed piece. I'll see if I can find it. I think it was in the Jewish News. And then he contacted the church of uh, the LDS church and asked them to stop doing it. Yeah, good for him. And I think, and obviously he's not around, so I can't really prove this, but I think they did like a, a special service or something to revert the baptism of the whole of the the Jews that died in the Holocaust. Right, good. So I don't know what kind of I don't know what kind of prayer that is, but I guess my dad had the power to revert baptisms, which is great. Oh, this is like <laughs> Jews versus Mormons. Yeah. My dad just got everybody together. Everyone had to put their cloaks on. Yeah. And like I love light it. candles, make a <laughs> pentagram in the middle and he's just like Satan, take their souls. They're not baptized. Is brilliant. I wish that would really happened. I would yeah, like I to know. have seen that. No, I think there. Were, I, don't, I don't think he really does ceremony like that. But I think there were. There's a prayer that they said for the the Jews that died in the Holocaust the that were baptized by the Mormons. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. We do kind of expect a bit of wackiness from the East because you know bats are eating there, ghosts are married to birds, and it's the land where water has replaced toilet paper. Oh, as an aside, we went to a Japanese restaurant the other day where they had Japanese toilets, but in in a restaurant. Yeah, that place, we talk about that place on a second show, but it was bizarre. Not only did they have the Japanese toilets, they also had robots delivering the sushi. Yeah, I would never use a Japanese toilet in a, in a public restaurant, in a public restroom. No, I, I didn't. I, did, I didn't actually have to use the toilet. I just used the urinal. The urinal was the same. But, I, but after you told me that, I went back in and looked, and they did have a Japanese toilet for the, man, the men too. Yeah. Best weird. toilets you'll ever use. Yeah, but I mean, I'd be fine with that in my own home or in a hotel where it's getting cleaned. This is in a public restaurant. Yeah, it's a bit minging. It's weird. God, those cha- those toilets are so great. I think people use them to co- to like orgasm with totally. I you know I imagine you probably could because I mean some of them like you can like control the uh, like the power of the spray. <laughs> it did have a warm toilet seat as well. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and we also expect a bit of a wackiness from a deaf cult church that will pester you even when you're dead. But you wouldn't expect it from the country that invented kissing, not showering, and smelling of, smelling of garlic. Yes, France is a country where you can marry a dead person. If you could actually marry somebody dead, who would you marry? Pick now. That's a good question. Um, Elvis. I'm not going to marry Elvis. No, me. I'm going to oh. either marry Elvis or I'm going to marry maybe Waylon Jennings. No, he was, he cheated so much. So did Elvis. I'm going to marry both of them. I don't know if someone I, I could marry that would be dead. Um, well, maybe Suzanne Summers, who we're Aww. dedicating this episode to. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Your early boyhood crush. Uh, she was my childhood crush. We'll get into that because I'm dedicating the song of the week to her. But yeah, uh, Suzanne Summers died this weekend. And you were very sad about him. I was kind of bummed. I, I loved Chrissy from Three's Company. And not to mention... I think I actually definitely got boners to her. I, I don't think I was wanking back then when I was watching it. But she caused a stir in your pants. She caused many a stir. Good for her. I'm sure she did for a lot of boys. Every year, scores of pe- uh, petitioners, they actually beg the president to grant permission for such a marriage, which will take effect from the day, uh, like, it has to be a year. So, like, you, you say you die on January the 1st. You have to wait a year. 
And then you only have one day that you can ask the president. Whoa. So it can be shown that the deceased consented unequivocally. And there is a strong reasons why it should go ahead, for example, to like legitimize children or for like emotional reasons. And authorities may actually just permit the wedding. So the French legislation is founded on a limited number of proxy marriages, which was permitted during the First World War when brides were allowed to marry a recently fallen fiance by proxy. In the 1950s, um, a dam collapsed at Fréjou, killing some, you know, about 400 people, including Andrea Capa, who was engaged to be married. And his fiance begged President Charles de Gaulle to allow the wedding to go ahead. And this uh, legislation was introduced in Article 171 of the Civil Code. France have a lot of very cool laws, and this is just one of them. So hundreds of grieving French fiancés have since married their departing sweetheart, and that's fiancés with two E's. A French study that was uh, conducted on uh, these marriages between 1960 and 1992 found that of the 1,654 wedding requests, 95% of them are coming from women. Well, it's got to be financial then. I think it's financial, or like if you've got kids and you want them to yeah. have, like to all of you to have the well, same the lineage names, of or... your, yeah, of your husband's or your husband's lineage. And it's also, I just think, very, very like romantic French dark love, isn't it? It's like you are dead, but I will remember you forever. I will marry you, corpse. In 2004, uh, Christelle de Marchel, then 34, she married a dead man. She carried a bouquet of yellow roses and she uh, gleefully ducked rice after the ceremony in the Riviera city of Nice. About 40 people later attended her reception at a local restaurant where the champagne bottles bore custom labels with the newlyweds' names. And the only thing missing, besides a wedding cake, was obviously the groom, because he's dead. So they didn't even try to get like a stand-in... No. Or, you know, someone wearing a mask that looked like him or do the the whole doll thing. No. Okay. (laughs) She said, I had what you call a perfect wedding. Uh, She said this the next day when she was chain smoking behind (laughs) beside her new mother-in-law in in a Paris cafe. Her fiancé, Eric Dimachel, was struck by a drunk driver whilst riding his motorcycle and obviously he's killed. At his wedding, an empty orange armchair represented him. And she wore a black pantsuit. So she's a real-life rendition of the bride wore black. And I am also a bride who wore black. Her mother-in-law, Joycelyn Demachel, said she had consented to the marriage because Miss Demachel was the only woman with whom her son had ever wanted to start a family. She said, it's normal that she carry his name. And Christelle keeps her husband's ashes in an urn in the bedroom, stating, I have transcended death. See, See that's su- cool. I'm surprised she didn't make those ashes into a dildo. You can do that. Yeah, I'm surprised. She sounds like she should have. So after a posthumous marriage, the living spouse inherently becomes a widow or a widower. And so the posthumous marriage will also bring the surviving spouse into the family of the deceased spouse, which can create an alliance or some kind of moral satisfaction there because you know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of emotional issues going on. And then the surviving spouse is also subject to you know any issues that surround a marriage. But I, th- I find it really odd that, you know, you're, you're hanging here with the in-laws, even though you don't have to. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'd be pissed if I was the in-law. I'd be like, seriously? Like, <laughs> you didn't even it. get married. Just yeah. go find another one. <laughs> like, find now I gotta deal with you? One. I gotta invite you over to every fucking family <laughs> holiday? Um, so they say posthumous marriage in France shows the strength of an individual to overcome a fiancé's death. 
Um, and so the usual financial aspects of a marriage, such as liquidation of matrimonial um, funds or the granting of, uh, of inheritance, um, usually typically don't apply. However, the widow can receive a pension and be entitled to insurance benefits. So I think what happens is like when they're married or when they're engaged, or if you're married to a soldier or something like that, you can get, you can get married posthumously, and then you, get, you can still keep your husband's insurance and yeah. still have access to his pension. Yeah. So I can understand that. Now, necrogamy is not recognized in the United States. So there's no ghost marriages in the, in the U.S., although there has been one wedding-themed funeral. So in 1987, a Venezuelan man died in Florida. The next week, his alleged fiancé told the probate court that she was his wife, and she claimed the right to administer his estate, and that she was entitled to the amount of the estate normally given to a spouse because she said, you know, that they were married. So, because she basically didn't want the entire estate going to his kids. Right. And so, two weeks after the man's death, the Florida court were like, you know what? We're going to claim this marriage is legal. And they legally recognized it. But the kids were pissed off about that. And so, uh, they got the court order um, reversed the next year after appealing. Because they're like, no, they're never married. She's not our mom, and she does not get any piece of that estate. And she's a bitch. Yeah, and she sucks. But I think a lot of the these ghost marriages usually are to resolve like issues, financial issues. Yeah. And compensation for the, the widow and the family. Now we're going to talk. Everyone will know this case. I'm assuming all of you do because you're all very cool, learned people. But this is the one. We're going into it. So Elena Helen Milagro de Hoya is probably the most famous dead fuck doll bride in history. And German-born doctor Karl Tanzler fell in love with the Cuban beauty when he was treating her for tuberculosis at a hospital in Key West, Florida in 1931. For him, it was love at first sight, <laughs> not for her. And when she died at the age of 21, he was distraught and he vowed a way to bring her back to life. What was the age difference here? Oh, oh, he's old. It's, he's I mean, he was old. an old man. Like, he was in his 60s. He, yeah, he's old. He's also already married with kids who he doesn't see. They're, ba- oh, okay. they're in another know. state. Is he a strange, or like divorced? No, they like, never got divorced. Okay, so he's a bigamist. Kind yes. of. Um, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I guess not really, because he never really married um, Elena, but he definitely... Uh, um, did other oh things God. with her. <laughs> but yeah, this is such a well-known case. Almost everybody is, has seen this and a oh, sundry podcast have covered it. Yeah. And yeah, when we post the picture to of, of her face to uh, the website, you're going to be like, okay, I know this one. So as a young boy in Germany, Tanzler would often have visions of a stunning dark-haired woman who he said, or at least he thought, was predestined to be his one true love. So the 22-year-old beauty, Elena resembled his childhood premonition so closely that he was convinced as soon as he saw her that their love was meant to be. Oh, my God. So despite the lack of all qualifications needed to treat a tuberculosis patient, because I don't even think, I think he was a radiologist. Yeah. Um, he was determined to save her, and he used a variety of specially made, like homemade tonics, elixirs, and medicines in an effort to do so. Um, and he administers, administered these treatments in the family home while showering her with gifts and declaring his love the entire time. So you get this old, creepy old man. Ge- creepy old German man. German man in this, like, showering this 21-year-old girl with all gifts. Who's dying. And claiming that he was going to make some concoction that could save her. And so I'm sure the family was desperate at this point. They're like, 
okay, it's a little creepy, it's a little weird, but we're going to let you in and you can, you know, hang out with her. Yeah, save her. It kind of reminds me of, um, you know, Paul Newman. Remember when Paul Newman was dying? He had uh, cancer and he rejected like Western medicine and he went to Mexico and was getting all these weird tonics and elixirs. Like witch doctors? Oh, yeah. He died within like weeks. (laughs) It just reminds me of that. So he convinces her grieving family to bury her in a special mausoleum that he paid for. And he is also the only one he had a key for it. And in his short memoirs called The Secret of Elena's Tomb, I want to say thanks to crew member Anthony who sent me like the PDF copy of this book. It was a great read. He recounts how he resurrected his lost love. He says, at first, uh, as the first step, I sprayed diluted formalin all over the shrouded body in ample quantities. This is for disinfection and also to harden the body tissues before we undertook to detach from the skin the drapery, which had become glued to it, the drapery from the coffin. <laughs> Decay had set in in a most disheartening manner. Only with the greatest of care was I able to peel the pieces of textile from the body. This took hours. Till dawn, I worked with every energy, appalled at the negligence of the morticians who had failed to embalm the coffin itself, which would have prevented much of the decay because it was a coffin that smelled awful and not the body. Yeah, right. He even built a special incubation tank for which her body was sealed inside. And every night at sunset, he would visit the tube and the mad doctor became convinced that Elena was speaking to him from beyond the grave. He was... Totally boning your corpse. We're going to get into a saucy rendition. I mean, every night he was boning your corpse. Totally. He said, I heard her voice very distinctly in soft tones. It sounded so very much alive that instinctively I looked around everywhere to see whether by any chance she was standing somewhere nearby. She wasn't outside the coffin, of course, but unmistakably she spoke from the air inside and she said these words. You do love me still, don't you? Tell me, am I really dead? Before she asked, I wish you would take me with you to your home. I want to stay with you. <laughs> so so he's schizophrenic. Like, he's hearing voices right now. And fucking a dead girl. Yeah. Okay. And he did. He vowed to bring her home. And she's now actually nearly two years decomposing. So it wasn't just, you know, something that happened within a week. He's been going there every night for two years, fucking her cops for two years. And now he's like, I've got to have this at home. Well, it's a lot easier, much more convenient. But he was also trying to preserve the flesh. So it's not like, yeah, it's not like she's completely rotting. He's kind of skint by now because he'd spent his fortune trying to preserve his princess. But he is lucky enough to rent a house on the edge of the cemetery, which is a great movie, The uh, the House on the Edge of the Cemetery. Isn't that one of the David Hess films? No, it's House on the Edge of the Park. I think so. That's a sequel. Sounds familiar. It's really good. And he's going to finally be at home with his bride. So using a wagon, like a pull-along wagon, he dragged her corpse to their new forever home. After liberating her from her coffin, he recalled, it was a horrible and saddening sight to look inside the coffin after 18 months in the grave. It was disheartening. With the greatest care, I now detached the uppermost layers which are overgrown and eaten up with slimy molds, carefully peeling off the pieces around the head, face, and chest first. I found that many pieces had become glued to the skin. All of those which did not come off easily, I left on her body to soak in for the time being, as it might injure her delicate skin, which I wanted to keep intact. (laughs) After that, I dried her entire body. I drained the coffin and sponged it clean and dry. (laughs) 
He's mental. I placed new rubber cushions all along her body, which was firmly held together and still showed evidence of living loveliness. For the first time now, I could find a little time to rest, to examine her body and study its condition more thoroughly. Yeah, examine her body. Yeah. I, know wh- I know what he was examining. Mm-hmm. I looked into the deep fallen cavities of the eyes, like deep, empty black holes. I saw her dried up lips. He doesn't indicate which lips. <laughs> slightly parted with her white teeth gleaming between them. And when looking so long and deep into those black openings where once her beautiful eyes had shone so bright, it was strange indeed. It seemed as if a pair of pupils were forming again deep inside and were looking at me as if from the bottom of a well straight and seriously. This is beyond creepy. And what did the family think? Would they even have a key to the, to the, or did the family even know that he took her corpse back to his house? No, and they didn't know that he had a key. To oh, the they didn't know. So, but then what if the family wanted to visit? Well, they could, when you see pictures of the mausoleum, it's actually kind of very small. And they would sit outside. There was like two bed, like kind of benches. That you oh, could okay. Sit so outside. they weren't actually looking at the corpse. No. Like he was going inside. I think if you were to look at the mausoleum from the outside, you'd be like, only a coffin could go in there. But he must have been laying on top of that coffin because it wow. is small. It's not like you're thinking of like a high mausoleum and it's curved, it's kind of like arched. It's small. Hmm. Continuing on with Carl's memoirs. It's going to get juicy now. He said then, kissing her dry lips and breathing deeply into her lungs until her bosom rose, I unpacked her bridal gown and I covered her body with it. I draped her with the silk veil and adorned her head and hair with a golden crown. She looks so wonderful now. I could not resist. The wondrous spell and trembling with burning love, I sank gently into the coffin to her and kissed her as if she were alive. Yeah, he was getting in the coffin with her. Fuck yeah, he was. And you know, I'm like, I'm not going to like read out any more of this book because this isn't a tree grows in Brooklyn and I'm not Lance Wackerly. Sorry. Uh, but he does go into extreme detail how he brought Elena back to life, feeding her a cocktail of chemicals and, of course, his very own curing cum. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure she drank a lot of his sperm. So he guts her. He stuffs her with rags and cloth. He replaces her rotten skin with silk soaked in plaster of Paris. He inserted glass eyes. He used coat hangers and other wires to stabilize her skeleton and kind of make her maneuverable as well. <laughs> Her scalp was actually recovered because he got a wig made from her actual hair, which had been a gift given to Carl by Elena's mum after she had died. And her face, he gave a thick layer of mortician's wax to keep her looking alive. Why was her mouth just open, like, you know, <laughs> wide? Like it was that. open for, like, a German sausage <laughs> to slip in. He also did insert a tube into her vagina so he could give her an injection of dick whenever he pleased. <laughs> So he's using a fleshlight, too. Yeah, essentially. He probably has ones different shapes and sizes. You know, he could he could trade off. He could pull one out and be like, you know, I feel like I'm I'm feeling a bit tighter today. Why not? Daddy's flipping you over, honey. Yeah. Do you think he ever used the back door? Uh, Yeah, he probably did have a He probably did. Why not? So do you think he had a separate tube for the back door or do you just raw dog that? No, maybe he would raw dog that. You know, he never admitted to committing any necrophiliac acts. Even though he just said, I got into the coffin <laughs> with her and I'm snogging Well, her. I mean, that, that sounds like pretty PG. I think he was just giving a couple kisses she's, here and there. She's two years dead and he's kissing a two years old dead corpse. He is mad. <laughs> to hide the smell of her decaying body. I mean, he could have asked to live with you. You would never have known. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to smell it. Because what do you not have? 
I don't really have much of a sense of smell ever since uh, I've been living with cats. Is it, oh, you don't have an olfactory sense. An olfactory sense, sense. yeah, it's <laughs> lacking. I, I can still kind of smell some things, but you know, it's almost like, it's almost more of a blessing living yeah. in the city. It is, but it's also your greatest weakness. How many times do we walk by a homeless person just reeking of piss and diarrhea? It doesn't bother me at all. You're retching, and I'm just like, no, it smells fine to me. Yeah, but you could also be like sat on public transport next to somebody who smells exactly like that, and you would never know. Which is also a bit of a blessing. And a weakness. Uh-huh. So he's going to use preserving agents, perfumes, disinfectants, even fresh flowers, and they're going to live together peacefully. For seven years. Seven years. He's just just maintaining her, topping her up with wax and all these like cocktails and just fucking her. For seven years. Yeah, that right there. That that's creepy. Like I imagine like people in the town knew about this too. They I think did. they would have known did, that actually. he's mental. Yeah. And also if you didn't think he was mental by now. His ultimate plan was to use an airship to fly his wife high into the stratosphere so that the radiation from outer space could penetrate her tissues and restore life to her somnolent form. <laughs> he is mental. He what is mental. mental. Case. How did this guy become a doctor? Well, I mean, sometimes like crazy people walk the line of being super intelligent, don't they? Well, it is Florida, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he had the corpse wrapped in a dress with gloves and jewelry. Like, he bought expensive jewelry for, for this corpse. Um, and he placed the body in his own bed. So he slept next to that corpse in bed with the corpse seven, seven years. years. And he's, yeah, he's fucking her. But the Romeo and Juliet love story, it's going to be over in 1940 when one of Elena's sisters went to visit the doctor and she's horrified to discover what appeared to be a life-size effigy of her sister. So she called the police who confirmed it actually was her sister and Tanzler is arrested for grave robbing. He was found sane somehow. Like What? It's like when Jeffrey Dahmer was found sane. Somebody who is eating people and keeping their heads in the freezer is not fucking sane. Yeah, he's bu- wasn't he building like a throne of skulls? Yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer was not fucking sane and like he was always going to get killed in jail. Well, I like, think that's what so they obvious. wanted. Yeah. Uh, Due to the statute of limitations having expired, much like his wife, uh, well, his wife in inverted commas, he was a free man and public opinion was that he was simply lonely and in love and not that he was pumping loads into this corpse of a young woman for the better part of a decade. Well, that, that is an odd thing about this town is like most people are actually sympathetic towards that man. Maybe he was really well liked. Well, they, I think they just felt like he was, you know, Lonely. Love struck and lonely. And this was like, you know, this is just his way of professing that. But I mean, the entire town would talk about this reclusive man, often seen walking around buying women's clothing and perfume by himself. They knew he wasn't with anyone else. They knew he wasn't married because, I mean, it's a small town. And one local boy's account uh, witnessed the doctor dancing with what appeared to be a giant Doll. Oh my god. He's dancing <laughs> with her in the moonlight in the house on the edge of the cemetery. So after word got round about the giant buck doll, the family then knew that something was going on here. Yeah. And I think that's why the sister checked in on her. So he actually asked for Elena to be returned to him, but instead authorities placed her in a local funeral home where 7,000 people came to gawk at her. I mean, I would have been one of those people I would have checked her. it out for sure. I read uh, somebody who'd actually witnessed the body and he said that the 
it was worse than the pictures ever made it look. And he still like has nightmares about it to this day. He was like, it was just unreal that that is a corpse, but it is a corpse. Mm. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's, it is frightening. So eventually she's reburied in an unmarked grave. Her body is encased in cement to keep the creepy doctor from interfering with her body again. However, Carl's love for Elena certainly wasn't dead and buried. And he re- he made a replacement model of her body using a death, death mask that he had taken from the real Elena for its face. Elena part two. It is Elena 2.0. <laughs> In 1952, at the age of 75, he was found dead in his home. Gossips say he was found in the arms of Elena 2.0, but no one could be really sure that it wasn't the real Elena that he had freshly exhumed and preserved for his pleasure. I read that uh, he was dead for like four weeks before anyone found him. Yeah, because he probably doesn't have any friends. And he is a recluse, so. Yeah. So he said in his book... Yet divine happiness is flowing through me, for she is with me. Nobody can take her away from me, for God Almighty has united our souls. She has survived death forever and ever. She is with me. Like this poor girl. Like (laughs) (laughs) Elena didn't ask for this. So um, I got some great research from this from a sinisterisles.com. Their article about Carl's really, really funny. I enjoyed that. And uh, like... What else? It really is until death for some, isn't it? Yeah, well, some until death and way after. I mean, if you think about it, it's a pity that they didn't have real dolls in the 1950s. Because I'm sure Carl yeah. would have ordered a custom Elena version. He, I think he would have. And he would have put like the wig on her. And He could have switched it around. He could have put it, it much less work to maintain. And I'm sure it smelled a hell of a lot better. Have you known anyone who's ever bought a real doll? Uh, not personally. I mean, I love the uh, documentary Guys and Dolls. If yeah, you yeah, I've a chance seen to that. check it out. But I don't know anyone personally that had a real doll. Because I would just love to know, like, why? I think it'd be hilarious. It would be hilarious, but yeah. why? Well, is death really the end, Kate Rambo? That's the question. No, D. It isn't. <laughs> uh, people's episode 916 here of uh, Sick and Wrong. We got some phone calls coming up next, some saucy phone calls. These are spicy. 323-522-4032 is the number of the Sick and Wrong hotline. But first, let's play a quick message from Adam and Eve. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive Three free adult DVDs. Three. For a little inspiration. Plus a free extra gift so sensual, we can't even mention it on the radio. (laughs) And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type diddle for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code DIDDLE at adamandeve.com. So we got a couple phone calls here. Um, continuing on with the flame war. Amazing. Between uh, Adam from Tokyo and the Swede, Adam from Tokyo calls in. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a message here. So uh, we're going we're gonna to stoke the flames of the war the the flame war going on. 
It's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the Israelis and Palestinians are at war. We'll hear the Swede and Adam from Tokyo are at war. I was actually just thinking if I had to pick a side, if Sweden and Japan went to war, who would win? And I'm Team Sweden. That's because uh, you're Aryan. As you, I mean, Scandinavians are just hard as fuck. I know, but I love Japanese food more than I like Swedish food. So I'm Team Japan. I'm mate. Team Japan. <laughs> I'm right. on your side, Adam from Tokyo. <laughs> Sweet's no, my I'm, warrior. I'm neutral. I'm neutral oh, in this you're skirmish. You're going to be Switzerland, are you? I'm neutral in most wars, all right? Uh, here's Adam from Tokyo. Yeah, herny, verny, verny, verny. Mork, mork, mork. Yeah, it's Adam from Japan responding. Back, baby. <laughs> so... First things first, you guys did... Is he riding a bike or something? No, but I thought because this is the east and we can hear like a bird flying around, is he planning to just snatch it from the sky and eat it? What do you get to eat birds? They eat, they eat weird stuff, come on. Not in Japan. Yeah, well, I guess they in eat Japan weird they stuff. eat they some eat weird horse, stuff. Mate. They do eat horse, yeah. yeah. But a lot, so do the French. Yeah, but the French are elegant about it. <laughs> Great job of your Japanese in the last episode. Um, but, you know, the idea that I'm getting my... Um, my panties in a twist, my my top knot in a in a in an extra knot over your guys' pronunciation is fucking ridiculous. I don't. I just said it sounded like a hate crime because when you say like juon, like the word juon, you guys say juon, <laughs> and then when you say the ning word, which I'm not even gonna repeat, you go hard on the i, right? That was, my whole joke was just that you know, you sound. We sound it out, you know? Yeah. So that's, the way, that's the way it works. Like a hate crime. What's the other one? Yeah, Ju and then Ni and then, uh, yeah, Fukushima. You guys kept saying in the last show, Fukushima. Fu-. It's not fuck, you know what I mean? It's fuk. But we're probably putting the emphasis on the fuck on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look fuk at the off. way it's spelled. <laughs> fuk off, Adam. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. Okay, I speak four languages, you know. Humble brag. Um, maybe I am a polyglot, as your Swedish friend says. I think it's kind of cool. Like, uh, I'd be interested no, to know I mean, what four just... languages he speaks. Well, definitely English and Japanese, but I, yeah, I don't know. He's from uh, Canada. Like Pacific Northwest. I'm not sure. If, I forget where he's I from. I thought he was from Vancouver. Maybe, maybe he is from Canada, so I don't know. I would like to point out to Adam from Tokyo that Canada is not a language. No, but they, he probably mm-hmm. speaks French. I know they learn French in Canada. Oh, yeah, they have to, don't they? Yeah, so. For the weird yeah, Adam French. from Tokyo, what languages do you speak? Good pronunciation is just bad pronunciation. It's not like I'm mad about it, but like, just be careful when you say the town of Niigata. You don't say something that sounds horribly racist. Okay, so that's done. Nigeria. You guys did a great job. Eight out of ten on the pronunciation. Really impressed with you. And uh, yeah, but now onto the Swede. The Swede, my mortal enemy. So here's the thing about the Swede. Like, how about not telling us stories about how cool you are? Like, that's the good stories in Sick and Wrong are people who are uh, self-effacing and they're they're calling in about the time they had butt sex with some fat chick and <laughs> or, or or like the all of the 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 medical staff are my favorite big respects to everyone who's called in with you know cadaver stories and stuff that's 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 the peak of this whips of this wait, wait what about the shit stories that's <laughs> your bread favorite. And, the, the bread and, the shit stories are the bread and butter yeah um and awkward sex stories i love the swedes calls the bread and nutella 
The bread and Nutella. Yeah. Oh, disgusting. Dude. Come on. <laughs> it works on so many levels. It's rank. <laughs> Podcast. But like, just, just think about like a story where you're not the hero and you just kick someone in the head. Like a story where you actually do something cool or like, you know, I mean. He went to the so, Olympics, Adam. Yeah, but he kicked many people in the head at the Olympics. That was his job in the Olympics was to kick people in the head. That's a fucking... Me- How many people actually go to the Olympics in their chosen spot? It's a fucking small amount of people. That that's is fucking pr- that, cool. No, that's impressive, definitely. But do you have to bring it up every time? Yeah. I would bring it up all the time if I'd been to the Olympics. <laughs> Put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to repeat a story I said before, which was about my friend Mike Smith, who... Um, during the uh, the earthquake, because you guys are asking me a bunch about the earthquake, he was in a Japanese toilet and he was taking a shit in a Japanese toilet, which is a squatter toilet, right? And so that is one thing that's interesting in uh, Japan and that that region of the world is you do have those super high tech Japanese toilets, and like a lot of the hotels have them. But sometimes you go to like even like the divey bars, and it's just a hole in the ground. Mate, it's they a have squat. them. They have them in Turkey. Yeah. I'm, just a I'm, hole in the ground. I pissed in one in Turkey. I didn't shit in one, but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bring on the free seashells. I'd rather have that in Demolition Man than Ooh. a hole in the floor. When the building was lurching around all over the place, he shat all over himself and then had to go outside and uh, brave the, you know, the after sort of apocalyptic energy of, of Tokyo with shit all over the back of his pants. That's a good story, see? And it didn't involve me kicking anyone in the head. So, yo, Adam uh, from Japan. And, yeah, 8 out of 10 on your last uh, pronunciation. Very proud of you. And uh, I'm not butthurt. I love everybody. Peace and love. Bye. So, see? Mazel tov on the pronunciation and the uh, the ghost of the tsunami episode. Uh, yeah, I found by if I just do it a little bit racist, it, it works out a bit better for me. If I just do it a little bit racist. I'm still going to say fuckishma. Yeah, Or fuck however it. we were saying it. <laughs> <laughs> fuckishma. Yeah. Well, thank you, Adam from Tokyo. And yes, I do love the uh, the self-effacing stories, but I, you know, I actually enjoy Swede's phone calls. I and awesome. what I love about Swede's phone calls is the production value. That's what I love too. Yeah, I mean, he puts a lot of effort into it. Always impressive. Um, well, we have a, a third party now weighing in on the debate. Oh, my God. So it's a triple threat match. It's yeah, like a it's ca- a tr- becoming a cage match now. It is becoming a cage match. Now, now we have the third party weighing in uh, in the form of Glasgow Greg. Oh, my God. You might have to translate for me. Wait. Uh, right. So Japan versus Sweden versus Glasgow. Yep. I mean, there are some hard, hard cunts in Glasgow, to be sure. But also, they all die at the age of 60. <laughs> this conflict has taken a turn. It For is. the worse? Well, let's find out. <laughs> this is the fight you all wanted between colonized Japan and Sweden. It's the fight I've been most excited about since Glasgow Greg and Schlitzy. Oh wait, the Glasgow Greg and Schlitzy oh, conflict. You remember that? 
That was brilliant. Remember, he just, I've never met anyone who hates Schlitzy more than, I mean, like, it's well, not like Schlitzy is a nice guy. He hates Schlitzy more than you. Yeah, yeah. Because you never liked the guy either. No, Schlitzy's an absolute cunt and not in a fun way. <laughs> he's, a, he's a cunt in an annoying way. But Glasgow Greg particularly despised him. So when we played that last Schlitzy call on the Patreon, hey, I think he was just like, thank fuck, this is over forever. It's a second row promotions event coming to you right here. From Glasgow. <laughs> this is the one from doing this all the way. Yeah, baby. This is Glasgow Greg McMahon bringing you an epic in the next YouTube fight between the Swede and the American guy. And Japan. Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional wrestling for the heavyweight championship Is that Bruce of Buffer? the This is Glasgow Greg McMahon. I got them here at the way in backstage. And the sweet, he's talking piss, man. He's winding the American guy that lives in Japan right up. And the guy from Japan is going to come back. I can see him getting angry here. Who knows what's going to kick off? Oh, my. He's coming back with a bunch of vowels. With a bunch of names, man. That's maybe the biggest gay fest. I, I'm, I'm totally missed that whole statement. What did you say? At the end of that was that this might be the biggest gay fest, and then you cut it off. Oh, the biggest gay fest. Okay. All right. Ever seen, and I can't wait to be a part of it, man. It's got to be the best, baby. <laughs> Harrison would have a hard on for us. Wait, what, what was that? Harrison would have uh, had a hard on for this. So I do it, man. My money's on the street. Thank you. But who knows? Wait, he says money's on the Swede. Money's on the Swede, and I think everyone has to choose a side now. You're either choosing the American guy who's living in Japan, as Glasgow Craig's calling him, or you're picking the Swede. And my money's team blue. Swede. Well, the Swede's also like a internationally renowned taekwondo expert right or karate what did he do i'm also just talking about like we're gonna boil it down to the country as well like sweden I'm okay team sweden Swede. versus japan yeah I'm, I'm team japan i like japan i've oh. never been to sweden either have you ever been to sweden yeah i've been to uh to Gothenburg and stockholm oh okay i've never actually been to sweden so but i have been to japan Oh, have your humble and, brag. Oh, yeah. Nice yeah. little humble brag. <laughs> no, I've been there. to Japan once and I was quite impressed with it. However, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, he does. he's a Taekwondo master versus Adam from Tokyo. But Adam from Tokyo is streetwise. He's from the streets. He is from the mean. Uh, I'm sure he's from Vancouver. From the- well, let's just say he's Vancouver. So yeah. I think he's from the mean streets of Vancouver. So he's wily. So I don't know. A guy... American guy, American ninja in Japan, just might take it. This is Craig McMahon, 
Let's go play with my saying I ain't hedging my best just quite yet. I'm telling him, what's he, what's he saying that right now? He's saying um, he, he's it's going to be, he's Glasgow Greg McMahon. Okay, okay, okay. So he's like uh, Vince McMahon here. Yes, overseeing the whole thing. This production has been brought to you by Sitting Rock. Nice. <laughs> You're a pair of fags. Suck it back and go over it, man. <laughs> Did he call them a pair of fags? Yeah. All right. Well, the, so some kind words there from uh, Glasgow Craig. <laughs> he is not weighing in on the situation. <laughs> I got to say, I mean, the, the effort that went into that call. Was amazing. Um, was amazing, yeah. It was like a little dead bug joint, I liked it. I'm very impressed. It was like, um, what, what do you call those? The audio, you do it for overkill. Just like make an audio soundscape. Yeah, soundscape. Man. He was soundscaping. That's what he was doing. He was soundscaping there. He's great. a legend. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see what happens now, because I think uh, Adam from Tokyo just laid down the gauntlet, so we'll have to wait for Swede's response. We will. And, and everyone uh, other, has to pick a side. Yeah, other people feel free to weigh in on the, uh, the, the I guess, what, sick and wrong mania? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we want to call this one yet. mania as being overseen by Glasgow Greg <laughs> McMahon. <laughs> uh, people, you can call the sick and wrong hotline at 323-522-4032, or you can email us an MP3 at sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. Um, once again, thanks to everybody who supports us on Patreon and on uh, Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate you helping us uh, keep this show going every week. Just uh, head on over to patreon.com slash wrong, sign up today, or just go to uh, the, the Apple Podcast app and you can subscribe to Second Show there. Um, also, if you want to get some merch, we got a tea Public store. Just go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. And finally here, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. As I mentioned before, I'm heartbroken to find yeah. out that Suzanne Summers, who is best known for her for starring on the TV sitcom Three's Company and Step by Step, which I was never really a fan of. I don't know if you know that one. Neither of these shows aired in Britain. Or if they did, it was like something I was completely unaware of. So I, love I didn't Three's really know Company. who she was. I'm like aware of it in a pop culture term. But well, do, like, do you know the premise of Three's Company? It's like, aren't they a married couple living with their buddy or something? No, it was... Uh, so I don't even know. Maybe this is how it worked in the 70s or I think that show was 70s late 70s early 80s um Janet and Chrissy had an apartment and Jack who was played by John Ritter wanted to move into the apartment but a guy couldn't live with two girls in an apartment why not I I guess it's uh unethical I don't know maybe uh he thought that they were having like premarital sex or something so Mr. Furley and I think Mr. Roper prior to Mr. Furley the landlords at the building um had to had to like be convinced that Jack was gay, so he played this role like he was a, their gay friend. And he lived in the in the apartment with them, so there are all these like gay jokes, like right? Because he, he almost I think he was caught like fucking Chrissy, but then he had to like pretend he was like doing her makeup or something. There was always these, these like I mean there there was always some circumstance that was misinterpreted by Mr. Furley. Okay, okay. And then it came out like, oh, okay, no, he's gay, so it's fine. Right. But yeah, that, that was the whole premise of the show. Is So in order for him to live with two women, you know, he had to be, pretend to be gay. But you know, there's another show that Tom Hanks was in called Bosom Buddies. Do you remember this one? No, I didn't see this one either. I steal about this show. But Bosom Buddies, this is how Tom Hanks, I think, got his start. It was before Splash. I no, he was in that really shit, um, like, fucking... Uh, college movie. I can't remember the name of it. It's a real crap one, but Tom Hanks is in one of those college movies. I, 
Yeah, maybe he was in that before, but, but Bosom Buddies was definitely early in his career. And this is a TV show. It was a, it was a sitcom. And so the premise of that oh, is he, he and his buddy, who I can't remember his name, Alan something, but they, uh, they were trying to get an apartment, like a cheap, an affordable apartment in Manhattan. But the only apartment they could get was like in a woman's building. It was like an all women's building. So they had to cross dress. Oh, wow. Yeah, as women That's... to live in. Uh, and so they were bosom buddies. buddies. I love, I really <laughs> have to see this. That sounds amazing. I don't recall it being being a very good sitcom. I do remember being somewhat confused. I'm like, why are they doing this? And so they would live in the building. And so the women all thought they were women, but then they would like, you know, change out and be men again so they could try to shag them. Oh my God, this is like a very Mrs. Doubtfire, what could go wrong. Well, at the time, like type of you know, film. Tootsie, there's, cross-dressing was kind of like trendy at the time. Tootsie is one of the most amazing movies ever made. That actually is a really good film. But Three's Company was definitely my favorite, and Suzanne Summers was beautiful as Chrissy. Was Three's Company the one that goes, come and knock on my door? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the one. Larry lived upstairs, and they hung out the Regal Beagle. I loved that show when I was a kid. And I had such a crush on Chrissy with her like asymmetrical ponytail. Yeah, I, but she I was super hot. That. And I liked. I also liked uh, Terry, who came later. But Terry's a little. She was like the nurse, but Chrissy was. She was the iconic roommate there. Well, she died um, today, actually, on the eve of her seventy seventh birthday, after living with breast cancer for more than two decades. Twenty three years. Yeah, and a really aggressive breast cancer. Twenty three years. Yeah, yeah, she lived with, and she said she'd have her good days and bad days, but she continued to uh, to carry on. Um, I didn't know this either. Another fun fact about Suzanne Summers: she was fired from Three's Company because it was weird. Like Chrissy, all of a sudden, was just gone, and the next season, it was I can't remember the other one's name, and then Terry replaced her, and then there was this really tall blonde girl that was very ditzy that they kind of replaced Chris, Chrissy with. She was only on there for about a year, and then they had Terry. Janet was always, uh, she was always on the show, but Suzanne Summers was fired from Three's Company for having the audacity to ask to be paid equally to the men on the show. <gasps> Ye gods. Yeah, like, so, so it was a CBS program, and she said her male co-stars were making 10 to 15 times more than her, including John Ritter. Holy shit. Yeah, and so she complained about it, and they fired her. I'm, I'm just thinking about it now, but you really don't hear about like women's only apartment buildings, but I think it's a good idea. I mean, I, I don't oh, know. Oh, do you know what? I bet you can't do it now because somebody would say you're discriminating. It's discrimination, yeah. But I but think they did sense. it back in the day. It does make sense. I think it would be I've never heard of it. To have a woman's only apartment block where you could only rent there if you're women. I mean, I think it is. I think that would be considered discrimination. But yeah, I've never encountered that. It would either be really safe or like the rapists would just be like just gonna stand outside here and just sneak in <laughs> i'm just gonna wait <laughs> like ted bundy's outside there rubbing his hands so summers uh, eventually launched a successful career around wellness body wellness and she she was a spokeswoman for the leg toning thigh master remember thigh master oh my god was she yeah i bought my sister one of those uh, they had such a fad all and there was like in the early 90s do you remember when it was like well now there's definitely a fitness revival as well but oh, like yeah. ever since covid like fitness is in and people wear their gym gear as just like everyday clothes but in the early to mid 90s remember it all we had mr motivator yeah thigh master was such a huge thing she also wrote 27 books all what about natural f- health so yeah. she's survived 23 years with cancer, natural health. Yeah, well, I think she had natural remedies and body, just body wellness. I mean, she lived to be 77 years old. Uh, but she was definitely one of my childhood crushes at the time, along with Daryl Hannah yeah. when she was in Splash, 
and Susanna Haas from the Bengals. Both hot. And did you know Daryl Hannah's missing a finger? It's my favorite Daryl Hannah fact. She's, wow, she, she's missing her um, this finger, her index her finger. Her index finger? You see it in Kill Bill as well because he makes her wear this really clunky replacement and she's like tapping it on the side of a chair. But she like she's actually never come out and said how she lost her finger either. Was it a childhood injury? She's. This is what I like about Dara Hannah. It's like everyone wants to know about your finger and she just won't ever say. And I like that. It's a good bit of mystery to keep to yourself. Because hmm. if I'd lost a, like an appendage or something, you'd be guaranteed that every time somebody asks, because you do have to ask somebody, like if you're in an elevator with somebody and they're like missing a leg, you'd always be like, what happened to your leg? You've I'd make know. up a story every time. Every time it would be different. Yeah. And usually I would say sharks a lot as well. I can't remember her missing a finger in Splash, but. she No, she was missing a finger then. I did not know well, that. Well, I think people are looking at other things and Daryl Hannah's fingers <laughs> in Splash. Also, that's, um, he rapes that fish. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess he, she, I guess he did. Fish. I guess he did. Yeah. So rest in power, Suzanne Summers. Um, I'd like to dedicate the Sick Wrong Song of the Week to her. Uh, this song also, uh, um, Carl Tanzler would have under- understood the meaning all too well of this song. Death is not the end. Uh, from uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Well, Nick, and- Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds cover. It's actually a Bob Dylan song um, that he uh, performed with Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. Of one of his 80s records called Down in the Groove. I don't even have this one. Uh, but this, this particular version is from uh, Nick Cave's Murder Ballads. It came out in 1996. And it's, it's like an ensemble. Yeah. There's like um, Anita Lane's doing vocals, Shane McGowan from the Pogues, PJ Harvey, Kylie Minogue. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great song. Actually, it's, it's a great, great record, too, if, you don't, if you're not familiar. So we're going to end the show here with Death Is Not The End by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, people, we'll be back next week with episode 917. Till then. Take it sleazy. Yeah.
When storm clouds gather round and heavy rains descend, just remember that death is not the end. And there's no one there to comfort you with a helping hand to lend. Just remember death is not the end. Find some law-abiding citizen. Just remember that death is not the end. Not the end. Not the end. Just remember that death is not the end. Not the end. Mark McCardle reports on gay croquet. It is not a rugged sport. The danger is low, the skill is high. Well, you've got to aim, you've got to get the balls through these little tiny hoops with these big mallets. It takes a great deal of skill. It's kind of cutthroat. It resurrects a time that, that is long since gone as far as the, the gentility of it. How are you doing? Oh, shut up. <laughs> oh, oh, God, there goes my umbrella. <laughs> 